Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Welcome back. Here we are, one day after launch, and I think I'm just thrilled to have my voice back. So I'm flowing with energy and excited to share some really cool news. We have already met 40% of our goal on coffee, thanks to some generous supporters, anonymous and otherwise. A shout out to Tom, who has been such a phenomenal mentor to me in the startup space. He's brilliant. I'll have to get, I'll have to get you on here one day, Tom. I think that'd be awesome. You're filled with amazing stories and you've got awesome experience in your work and beyond. So that would be an amazing conversation. I'm so happy to have this place to share and to be able to do that verbally, not have to worry about what I look like, although I can see myself down the line, of course, using video alongside this with YouTube, which for our next episode with Dan Dembski, as I mentioned, we will absolutely have that. We did a video interview last week, so I'll be sure to post that as well. But I felt really inspired about the topic for today, which is, I think, really easy to shy away from. (laughs) But I'm reading Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. And this all sort of hit me today. So I follow an amazing multi-passionate entrepreneur named Angie Lee. She's so cool. I'll link her in the notes. And she was talking about essentially how, first of all, she's multi-passionate because she's got ADHD. And so she just likes to do a bunch of different stuff and it can be challenging to focus. But beyond that, she mentioned in entrepreneurship, what motivated her to move in that direction is actually how her period is cyclical and on the days of her period she's in a lot of pain and so what employer would support that right just supporting a sick day because you can't or she mentioned you know if she had to lay on the floor in the middle of work for an hour and then be fine afterwards but how would she go about telling her boss that and so she wanted the flexibility and before you kind of say okay well I don't have that that issue, whether you're a woman or not, you know, if if that's not something that gets to you, I think entrepreneurs overall were clear that freedom is really high up on the value hierarchy for values hierarchy for entrepreneurs, right? And so the reason I resonated so much with Angie and with her work in general is because of this one multi-passionate idea and two, the idea that entrepreneurship grants us the freedom to take care of our health. And I think that's a controversial one as well, because often entrepreneurs work even more than a typical nine to five. And yet it's the autonomy to control our schedules that really gets me, at least. And for similar reasons, I have struggled with painful periods since I was 16, 15. And really with no end in sight. It was, you have to take birth control or 
that take Tylenol or take prescription painkillers even, even better. Uh, and that just didn't seem right to me. It didn't seem right that that was the only way out. And so I want to go in two directions today. I want to talk about this multi-passionate, go for what you care about, figure it out via your broader mission because that's what's going to motivate you no matter what the project underneath that broader mission is. So I want to talk about multi-passionate entrepreneurs and I also really, or just multi-passionate people, don't have to be an entrepreneur. And I want to talk about shame and menstruation and what exactly we can do about it because there's actually a lot. You don't have to quit your job and become a, an entrepreneur to control your schedule, but there is a lot that we can actually do about our health, even if doctors say otherwise. And so I'm so excited to delve into these two today. And I'm excited that you're here to join me. So first things first, multifaceted interests or multi-passionate entrepreneurs, whatever you want to call it. The fact that man, I don't fit into this one box and I don't just want to do the same thing over and over and over again. Fine. You know, we see this across the chronology of someone's career. So from, you know, you start your career and maybe you do a part-time job at some fast food place or you are a server or you volunteer for stuff. You're on sports teams in high school. I mean, I think it's really important to look at high school education or for me, even when I was younger in Montessori school, we were so encouraged to check out music and different topics across the board artistic topics or otherwise history math I was able to learn trigonometry and then go and practice my clarinet and it was all totally fine and somehow the older we get there's this push towards specialization and of course I understand it right I mean the conventional education system it's about training you to be a specialist in some sort of field, to be an accountant, to be a lawyer. And that level of specialization and mastery is absolutely valuable. I don't discount that whatsoever. 4,000 hours later doing coaching, it's like, yeah, I know the questions to ask. I know how to drill down into the heart of a matter for someone ridiculously quickly, even if they've been spinning around for days, weeks, months. And it's a lot easier when you're listening to someone else than to do it for yourself Although coaching exercises can work for you as well, what I like to do actually as a bit of an aside is I'll just take a coaching exercise that I would normally verbally walk through with someone. And if you're a journaler or you like that, you like writing or drawing, you can absolutely just ask yourself the questions and effectively self-coach yourself by answering the questions candidly. Of course, there are tons of workbooks and free options out there for that, so uh, I can I can link to some that I like below. I have courses and do stuff like that that you have to pay for, but which is if that's of interest, you can absolutely I can link to that too. But most importantly, it's about asking yourself these questions. You know, I did that even for my birthday. It was recently my birthday, and I sat down and I love around my birthday. First of all, I just always make it a big deal. Ever since I was little, my my mom used to always allow me to skip school on my birthday after going and celebrating a bit with my friends. I used to be able to take off and we would go to lunch or do something special. So my birthday's always been incredibly important to me as a day to enjoy and celebrate myself. 
And so what I've found now is that not only do I want to celebrate myself and what I'm up to, but I also want to use it as a form of, you know, it's kind of like New Year's, right? And not to make resolutions, but to reflect on who it is that I am, what it is that I'm dissatisfied with and what I want to do about it. And you could argue, well, you could do that every day. And sure, you can. It does take an enormous amount of energy to be honest with yourself about things that you're not satisfied with and then mapping out a plan and executing it. I mean, that takes a certain amount of clarity and perspective, introspection. It's a lot of work. So, you know, people pay me to coach them, but... To be fair, they, they're putting in a lot of effort to come up with those responses. I'm simply there to hold the space and to ask poignant questions to get really curious and move in the direction that they want to be in. So a bit of an aside on multi-passionate, but to say that I think you can delve into what multi-passionate means for you if you get super curious and start asking yourself some really awesome questions around what it is you care about, what it is you're dissatisfied with, and where it is you want to go instead. So those three things are have been real gems for me, even just with quick realignment, check-ins with myself. So lots of tools there. Like I said, free and otherwise, I will I'll link to some because I think that that's huge in deciding what multi-passionate is. And of course, we see it a lot more and more today. It's just way easier, I think. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, you might have one career and then if you wanted to shift careers, you could do that. But to simultaneously have different revenue streams or income streams in your life and multiple or and or multiple habits was more rare. So when it comes to identifying what it is that multi-passionate can be for you you can start out with those questions you can talk it out with someone for me I love seeing people that build upon their passions as they learn so and certainly for myself right I mean here I am starting a podcast it certainly wasn't day one that I said okay I'll have a clothing line, a podcast, I'll have funnels to sell courses, I will write my book, I'll coach people, I'll run a software company. One of my mentors just wrote me and said, wow, you know, I'm I'm so inspired by how many different projects you have going and things that you move forward. And not everybody thrives with that, right? Some people, I know many who will say, you know what, that distracts me, That, that type of multifaceted approach is just simply it encumbers me and I don't feel like I can really put my hundred percent my hundred percent into any one thing and so I feel like I'm not doing any of them well and not my style cool I think that's really important to identify actually and if you're somebody that says you know what no I want to refine my craft and I do this one thing and I do it incredibly well that's great and there's huge value there and actually even though I have, let's say, these five streams of income that I'm focused on generating and therefore five different projects that I'm working toward and, you know, I set goals in those five arenas and those are the five arenas that I'm 
moving forward right now. And I do that actually based off of Warren Buffett's rule where, you know, you write this list of 25 things and then you pick the five that you want to work on right now and effectively forget about the rest of them. So that is one way to go about being multi-passionate, which I talk about in my book, actually. That's a good tool that I like. So you'll go and, again, just brainstorm, write out all 25 things or however many you can think of, but then just pick the top five that you're going to pursue doggedly until you feel that, hey, you know what, I've achieved this. And so obviously make sure it's specific so you know that that you've achieved it. I think that's, man, if I can touch upon one thing I notice broadly in all of the coaching that I've ever done and conversations I've had, goal setting is so broad. People will come in and just say, you know, I just want more satisfaction in my work. And it's like, that's great. But we need to, and the work that I do is really, we need to get very clear on the exact things that are going to make you feel that satisfaction. What is that satisfaction to you, really? And so, again, right, as I said, you can find this online for free. I think the value in coaching is that you can't get away from yourself, frankly, because you have somebody there not letting you make excuses or twist and turn or get into a blaming mentality or a problem-focused mentality. You have someone there holding the space to take you on the course that you set out to take and to figure out what exactly the outcome of that is, what you want that to be and really guide you. So they're setting up kind of the parameters, if you will. I'm just picturing in my head, you know, when you go bowling, but you have those bumpers on the side so you can't go into the gutter. You know, it's kind of like you're you're trying to establish where you're headed and somebody's sort of keeping you along that funnel to get you to the end of the road of the, that conversation. It's so easy to just fluff out of coming up with a, a solid course of action. So that's where I see the benefit in that. And if you're multi-passionate, I think figuring out, okay, what are those top five things is really valuable. And so for me, it's definitely been a struggle. I, I've had criticism from people close to me that really hits home very hard when I, it's like, well, but, you know, you're doing all these things and are you really any good at any of them? Like you're just doing all these things to some half degree. And so does that really count? And it's like, I don't really think I'm doing all these things. And that's where my point earlier that I made is actually really important, which is that if you have a very clear mission about what it is that you want to impact in your work, the ways in which you impact things it'll be very easy for you to say yes and no to things because it's, does it align with my mission? Yes or no? Yes? Perfect. Do it or slate it for down the road. No? Well, it's a really easy decision to say, okay, this is not really for me at this point based on my mission. And actually chatting with Tom, who I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, he showed me such a brilliant strategic thinking paper that he wrote in 1977, and I won't share it publicly because I don't have his permission, but what I can share is a template of this, and I think it is brilliant. There's there's something similar from Jordan Peterson around the self-authoring program, I believe it's called. He's, He's got a course doing that. It's effectively a similar exercise where you're saying, 
okay, what's my past? Where am I at? Where am I headed? And you're really taking ownership of your story. And this brilliantly ties into Brene Brown and the theme that I mentioned about shame. And so shame is often not owning your story and her definition of it. Maybe I should get the book and just read it flat out. But her definition is essentially saying that we believe we're shame is when we believe that we're flawed and because of those flaws, we're unlovable. I'm paraphrasing. And so if you think about this, it's really fascinating because if you can call out, if you can share your story, if you can, it doesn't, I don't mean share it publicly like I am now on this podcast with things. If you can share it coherently, if you can logically tell your story from start to finish, from, you know, when I was four years old, this happened and then this big life milestone happened and da 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 da, and you go through your whole list up until now, it gives you some really interesting clarity into trends, patterns that you've fallen into. And then likewise, when you go and you craft the future, which is what the strategic thinking paper helps you to do, or the future self type of exercise helps you to do, when you imagine who you want to be, that imagining, hopefully, when done in a supportive way, is nearly limitless because you can, depending on where you are in your life, you can absolutely craft your identity and your career, your work to whatever it is you want it to be. So when I get back to the point of, well, okay, but why why do a clothing line, a podcast, a book, a coaching business, and a software, how do you do this? Do you do all of them every single day? I mean, it's all about priority, right? So I'm full-time working on Chiefly, but I can take an hour at you know, 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. and I can record a podcast if I want to and I can do that once a week and that's one hour. I can still spend 40 hours a week on Chiefly and have that be full time. And something else that is really interesting is that they, of course, feed off of each other. And the reason that they feed off of each other is exactly what I said. This idea of the mission being the headline. The mission Your mission, the reason that you are doing things, the desired impact you want to have on the world via your actions is what's going to make this synergistic. So even if you're selling lip gloss and giving health advice based off of some illness that you healed from, and you're also you know, you have a charity or you volunteer at a charity and maybe you're also making some sort of art. I mean, all of those can funnel into a bigger mission, no matter what the end product is. And I think that's where sometimes people look at me and say, well, why, why write a book when you would prefer to speak and we can talk about book writing in another episode. That's a whole monster it was a whole monster in and of itself I'm so grateful for the support I'm getting to really bring it home but the reason is because people will interact with what I do differently and so some people will love this they'll love to listen to my voice and other people will say okay this has been you know 10 minutes long or 15 minutes long 
I've had enough. You're talking too much. I don't like to listen to things. Maybe you don't like my voice, whatever it is, but hey, I'll read your book because I like to read and have a coffee, sit outside and not talk to anybody and I don't want to hear anything. The ways that I bring things to life have to do with different opportunities to impact others from my mission. And so my mission is about getting people into action to change their situation. And so I've started to do that. By the way, I realized in listening to my last episode that I say and so a lot in it. Uh, an aside, I promise we'll get back to it. Living in Switzerland, being in Switzerland, there is an expression that some people say often more in the Eastern part. And they'll say as a filler word, it's actually really interesting to me, different cultures and their filler words. So in English, like, um, uh, you know, you know, people will take a pause and have these filler sentences in Swiss German. There's this expression and it's, also, <laughs> and the first time I heard it, I just, it, it, it really is the filler word of some, right? I don't want to overgeneralize, but some Swiss people. And somehow I feel I've translated it into English and, and I say, and so, which is anyhow, a funny little aside. I truly find that I pick up nuances from different places and even different people I'm around which is actually scientifically makes a lot of sense because it has to do with belonging and fitting into groups and I did some research about that because we'll actually mimic the tone the speed the way that we speak even an accent depending on who we're around I'll definitely I, I spent a couple weeks in Trinidad and I found myself speaking sort of more like a Trini after two weeks with zero history of an accent <laughs> Or if I'm in Croatia, where my family's from, and I'm there for a while, I sort of start, you know, having some sort of accent, a Croatian accent when I switch back to English. Same thing when I lived in Brazil. So anyhow, that's fascinating. And I find it fascinating because I'm such an auditory learner. <laughs> Needless to say, I'm working on not repeating myself or this filler. And so I noticed it a lot in the last episode. It's really interesting to listen to yourself speak, as I've mentioned previously. Anyhow, when we, I'll have to, maybe I'll make a list. I can make a list of like all the words when I, when I want to take a breath or if we're moving to the next topic. And if I want to say, all right, here we go. Some, you know, having a list of these words, maybe that'll be helpful so I can spice it up and keep it interesting. We really do fall into habits no matter what the topic. Filler words, things we eat, places we go, people we see, news, news channels we watch or podcasts we listen to. I think one of my biggest points of focus in being multi-passionate is actually to say I want to I want to impact people but I don't want to get siloed into just this one way of impacting people because then it will mean that I'm only impacting the people that resonate with that one sort of impact and it limits me it limits my impact it limits who I can 
support and attract with my work and getting back to my earlier point before we went down the road of also my mission is to help people be brave enough to get into action to make change to truly lead in their lives lead being the definition that I share on this podcast which is leading by example by me taking the plunge on things by me going for it by me showing courage in that way my hope is that others will feel permission and feel okay to go ahead and do the same in their work most predominantly in my coaching so you know I wanted to work online and remotely and from 21 22 years old I've been doing that and so you know successfully and unsuccessfully it's been an up and down journey I absolutely don't claim to have it 100% figured out I've certainly had some level of success lots of failures but I'm willing to go for it and my hope is by being that example of someone being willing to go for it and fail that I can inspire and motivate others to go for it as well and so that's my bigger mission is to inspire others to lead via their daily actions. And I thought, of, I have thought about this, right? I mean, I'm a career coach. I certainly have coached myself, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, via various channels and have had coaches, of course, to support me and to refine my approach as well. So mentors and coaches. And that's what it is on a broad level. My mission is to bring people out of complacency, bring people out of this feeling that I can't, why me, why should I, or I've been doing this for so long. Well, I'm in, I got a medical degree and I've been a practicing doctor. Who am I? How can I, how should I go and now sell jewelry on Etsy? You know, it's not a part of my brand. It's not what I'm supposed to do. It's not, it's not going to bring me a lot of money. Okay. To all of those things. But if that's really what you want, if that's on your top five list from, you know, Warren Buffett's list of 25, if that's your top five right now, and it's like you want to create those bracelets, go for it. And if you want them to impact via a charity and donate the proceeds to the hospital that you work at in a certain unit that you're really passionate about, women's health, kids health, you know, prostate cancer, whatever it is, if you're really you can weave these things together. You can weave them together to make the desired bigger impact that you have. And so those bracelets can still impact your broader mission. And you can do it in a way that you're getting to do the things you love. And I think historically, those things might have been called hobbies. And there's the argument that, well, okay, if I go ahead and I start making bracelets, but I have to do them every week, And this is, you know, even with this podcast, I could say, okay, so now I have to make this podcast every week. So if I don't make the podcast, people are going to be upset or I'm not going to be consistent in following through. And then it's an obligation. I think that's just a mental shift. So if you don't want to monetize something, if you truly want to keep it as a habit, awesome. Being multi-passionate doesn't necessarily mean you have to monetize every single thing. I'm not trying to come in and say, your career needs to look like this. You need five revenue streams. You need to quit your nine to five and have all these freelance options or have a nine to five and then work all night. What I am saying is it's so easy to just scroll on Instagram, listen to podcasts 
mindlessly without really consciously taking them in watch so much netflix so much netflix and how enriching is that what's what's the return if you look at your time as something that's absolutely finite which it is what's the return on that and what portion of your time you know they have um on iPhones, the how much screen time you spend and where you spend it and you can put caps and whatever. And it's like if you're spending 10 hours a week on Instagram, Netflix, Reddit, whatever, TikTok, Snapchat, and you're consuming and you're only consuming content, that's actually a very scary road to be on because what I've noticed is if you're consuming triple or quadruple what you're creating something starts to feel off at least for me and I've noticed it with others and I've seen some posts about it and I've seen people saying you know what if Instagram closed at 6 p.m and you had to turn it off and Netflix you know whatever channel and it stopped at 6 p.m and you had to go be with your family and go outside and have fun and do things it's like oh Wow. What if I didn't have a device? <laughs> I have two phones for work and personally. And today I had both of my phones in two hands. And I just thought to myself, this is madness. This is, <laughs> I literally have two, I can't get away from this technology. And that, my friend, is exactly the sort of moment that snaps me out of this and says, and it causes me to ask myself, am I simply consuming or am I putting something out there to provide value monetizable or not you know monetized or not am I showing myself to others somehow doesn't need to be on Instagram doesn't need to be to a hundred thousand people it can be in the form of just even you chatting with a friend or you journaling or you speaking, you know, my cousin, phenomenal, phenomenal idea. My cousin took this course, and I don't know the name, it always escapes me. She took this course where you can, the idea or the, let's say the advice or the tip was to do talk therapy into your phone just by recording a voice note. So what I'm doing now, I'm recording this for you to listen to. But you could just do that and keep it for yourself. And what a simple thing. You don't have to worry about who you're sharing it with. It's completely confidential. But if you're not a journaler, like me, uh, writing just is not my, prefer <laughs> my preferred method of sharing. So if that's not your way, I thought that was super cool. So whatever it is. But the idea is that if you're ingesting, right, whether it's food, content, whatever it is. If you're just taking things in but you're not letting them out, if you're not creating stuff, it's just out of whack. It's out of balance. And so that's, <laughs> and so that's what I mean when I say multi-passionate. It doesn't mean that you spend the same amount of time on all of your top five things, top five passions. It doesn't mean that you have to monetize them all. It doesn't mean that you that that you're even stuck with all five if one start 
if you say, hey, my mission is this, and number five, actually, I, I tried it, I'm doing it, I'm really not into it, I thought I would like it more, no problem, you explored it. Cross it off that, cross that goal off the list once you're satisfied with the exploration of that topic, and head to number six or number eight or whatever it is, you know, bring up another item from your list, check in on that list from time to time. That's what I'm finding works for me anyway. If you consider the person with one-pointed focus, so we hear a lot about leaders or people that are at the top in their fields and what it takes is one-pointed direction. Aim at something. This is from Jordan Peterson. You know, aim at something, point solely at that, and just go for it. Go for it. He says it more eloquently. (laughs) But aim single-mindedly at one thing and try to hit your target. Again, I think we can interpret that a little bit. And that means, yes, your target can be your mission. How you go about refining your skill set to hit that target, again, I believe is up for debate. I believe that we can say, okay, my mission is that I want to help people say, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I thought I didn't know what to do. I didn't think I could do it. I thought I would look stupid. Whatever that dialogue is, I want to take people out of that dialogue and into doing the things that they're sitting around thinking about. I want to get people into action. That's what I want. And to me, that means leadership, self-leadership. Leading via our daily actions means thoughts and dreams, hopes, wishes, all of these things that are sitting within you. I want to help people, you, take that from your head and just try it because the risk reward ratio is just there's no question that the reward is far bigger than the risk now does that mean you sell your house go to bali or vietnam and just completely absolve yourself of all responsibility absolutely not the more i delve into living my mission the more responsibility i have there's only only more responsibility comes from having a team at Chiefly, having contractors with Kickstart Your Work, finding charity partners to run, lead, wear with me, and be able to sell the clothing to give donations to local charities, sell my book, edit my book, the editors that are working on it, partnering with a publisher, this podcast, finding guests to interview for the podcast. It only increases my level of responsibility. In being multi-passionate because it means I'm accountable to these different passion projects or goals, right? The top five things doesn't mean that I'm being frivolous or that you can do whatever you want. The idea is that you can bring to life your mission, that thing that you're aiming at via some different channels. So, okay, let's, let's put that to bed. I think I've exhausted my t- my thoughts on that for now and head into the shame discussion they're they're linked i suppose because having for me my definition of being multi-passionate or having multiple things on the go meant that i could rely on different strengths of mine to not only make more impact but also bring in income and that would afford me a better chance at being an entrepreneur. 
because as an entrepreneur, the biggest thing is cash flow. At least I think what I've experienced is is cash flow and cash flow of course translates to making an impact because you make money, you make cash when you're helping people. So that's probably another podcast episode around people and their money thoughts and money being evil or bad or shameful to want. Oh, money and shame definitely could be its own episode. Money in general. I actually, in in polling you guys on Instagram and stuff, money and personal finance came up a lot. So I will be sure to do an episode. I have two people lined up who are phenomenal in the field of investing. Just brilliant, guys. I'm excited for, for you to meet them and to do that. That being said, shame. Shame for me. There are so many different stories I could probably share. The one that hits home, the one that motivated this episode that Angie Lee was talking about and I brought into the mix with Brene Brown's book is menstruation and my period. I have read so many different things and then people will say, oh, you must have endometriosis or PCOS or something. And what I've learned about my body at least is that it's actually a factor of stress for me. And of course, biologically, there are hormones going on, right? And so we could speak to the nutritional aspects. Angie Lee talks about carrots a lot to help with estrogen being eliminated from the body, which is a fascinating topic. Food is so cool. I think that's another episode to talk, to speak to. So many things with food as medicine that are fascinating to me because we literally are made up of what we consume. So that's a fascinating one. But outside of what I eat and getting adequate sleep, moderating stress levels and actually paying attention to where I'm at in my cycle has been hands down the biggest impact. And so I think it's really sad Sad or, again, I I remember that I'll re-listen to this and then every single word, it's so easy to want to pick it apart. I, I do. I think it's sad or needs to be discussed further the fact that women are not the same as men. They're not. We can be equal. We can We can both deserve respect. We can both be humans, which... We are, but we're not the same in our hormonal fluctuations, in our physiology, and that does have a big impact on how we feel, how we approach work, how our energy works. And so for the longest time in school, I thought it meant having to just be on all the time, to take Advil, to ignore it, to shut it out. To just kill the pain with painkillers and move on with my day. I mean, can you imagine if you're a man and still with me here? (laughs) Six days of your month, every month, you've got to slow down. You've got to take it easy. You might want to be alone and chill. I think 
it's really important here to consider ancient practices around this. It's very interesting. Again, it's all about framing. It's sort of this marketing exercise. If we talk about it in terms of female oppression, we could have one discussion, one thread of discussion. And if we talk about it in terms of female empowerment, we would have another discussion. If we say, oh, women have to be alone during their periods in some African villages, they're shut away in these huts and it's so terrible and they're isolated and that's awful. In India, they're also supposed to remain alone. They're not supposed to sleep in their bed. They're supposed to isolate themselves and, and really reflect. These are ancient. What's the benefit? What's the point of this? This is awful. Why are we putting women in this corner and trying to silence them during their period? That's terrible. Women should be able to do the same thing. Maybe this is just my experience and that's totally fine. But what I have noticed is that if I just try to soldier on and say, yeah, you know what? I don't need a break. I don't need anything. I'm totally fine. This is silly. It's just my body. It's just pain. And I ignore it. One, it gets way worse. Two, I resent the hell out of the fact that I feel awful and I'm still doing things. Anything I do with that pushing feeling doesn't go so well usually. And I usually make a lot of mistakes or feel frustrated. But this goes beyond menstruation, right? This is for anyone pushing forward on anything. When it's this pushing, forceful, I have to, I should, I must dialogue because I'm not going to be good enough, fast enough, smart enough. Uh, it's never going to work out well, <laughs> truly. Not in the long haul and certainly not for you. It might work out for your company. It might work out for your short-term results. It might even work out for your long-term results or your reputation in an industry. But I can assure you, just like I said in the last episode, if you put effort into one thing, you are sure as hell detracting from something else because you cannot be everything. That's the whole point of this thesis of picking five top things. You still, with those five top things, will not be able to do everything. That's okay. You take a percentage of your time. You calculate, okay, I'm going to work on chiefly full-time. I'm going to work on kickstart your work 10% of the time. So whatever, 10 hours a week. And within those 10 hours, I've got the podcast, I've got the book, and I've got the clothing line, right? So I just lay it out what it is that I'm doing. You do it whatever allocation and however many hours you're putting into what you're doing. That being said, if one week of the month, I'm telling you, and maybe it's four days or whatever it is that works for you, you need to slow down a bit. You need to reflect. You are not creating or you're creating differently or you need to be alone. You need to sleep differently, eat differently. If that's the case, instead of avoiding that, instead of shaming that, instead of feeling like I am flawed because of that, because of my period or whatever it is that you feel is slowing you down. So stick with me even if you don't have a period, that's fine. Whatever it is that's slowing you down, if it's a week of the month, a day a month, if it's a mindset, whatever's slowing you down, if that makes you unlovable and so you're flawed, you're flawed and so you're unlovable because of what's slowing you down, it's, it's just going to be your kryptonite, right? It's going to crush you. 
And that's what it did to me for years, years and years, I mean, 10 years plus. Until I said, I don't want to fight against this thing. I don't want to hide it. I don't want to feel bad about it. I don't want to be unlovable because of a natural biological process. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to figure out a way to navigate my life with this thing. I'm going to be good enough and I'm going to give myself the grace to do what I do, even though one week a month, it's going to look different. Okay, so fine. We've established it's going to look different. What is it going to look like? If it's not going to look like the hyper productivity I have in week one, two of my cycle or the cleaning of house that I do in week three, four of my cycle up until my period. So if we're going to map it out based off of that, then what does it look like? And what I mentioned, maybe it's reflection, maybe it's planning. And I find actually cleaning house. So I don't actually mean cleaning my house, although that's fine also. I mean, I find when I'm alone and I really want to retreat into myself, it's a great time to do an audit. It's a great time to take stock of everything that I have going on, finances, relationships, my physical health. And so (laughs) I can't say that without laughing now because I noticed it (laughs) with this four week give or take, four-week cycle that we have going on, we can actually harness that in a way that men aren't forced to. Of course, men have other advantages. I'm not saying we're better. Don't go down the feminist or whatever rabbit hole. Just there is absolutely, there can be, there are drawbacks and advantages to every single thing about different scenarios, different characteristics. If for me... I feel shameful about my period because it slows me down. It makes, okay, I'm not like a man. I can't just have endurance for four weeks a month all the time, consistent day in, day out, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go, 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 go. If I'm going to keep that as my on my pedestal to say that's who I have to be, I'm going to constantly fail and constantly feel like shit. But if I say, okay, actually, here's my rhythm. And I'm actually super productive two weeks of the month, more productive than somebody operating at 50% or 60% for 30 days a month. I'm actually really productive for 15 days a month or 20 days a month. And so for 20 days a month, I'm going to be super kick-ass productive. I'm going to have an ideation stage. I'm going to have an iteration stage where I act and I reevaluate. And then in the Time when I have downtime, when I don't feel like talking to others, when I don't feel like interacting, when I need time alone, I'm going to use that to take all of the feedback that I've received, whether if we're talking business or we're talking personal, I'm going to take all the feedback I've received over the past 20 days and I'm going to analyze it, toss it around in my head, see what worked, what didn't come up with a game plan for the next 20 days. And so funnily enough, the more I looked at how I want to operate with my body and the way my body works and how software companies or software engineering teams operate on this agile methodology, they'll have these sprints and then they'll do testing and a reevaluation phase. You can't sprint all the time 
as a business owner, as a software engineer, as anybody, we all have these natural reserves of energy. It's like I'm tapped out. I can't go 100% all the time and no one does. And anybody that says they do, I think is lying because there's got to be an outlet. There's There has to be some sort of downtime. Anybody that seems that they're on 24-7 has help. And that's sort of, I think, what the secondary piece of this shame, being real about what you're going through and asking for help or allowing others in to support you. I think those are kind of these three things that bounce around with this topic. I mean, of course, there are more, right? There's love and belonging, communication. And if again, Brene Brown's book is sort of lays out all of that expertly. And she's done a lot of research on, on the topic of shame. For me, it boils down to three things that I've noticed, which is the shame, the realization of what it is that you want, right? So, okay, I instead want to follow my rhythms. And my story is that I feel better when I do that. And I will do that by taking time alone and doing an evaluation of what it is that I've been working on, checking in on the progress of my projects, doing a bit of a cleanup or overhaul of things that are sort of built up, things that I might have been putting off since I've been running at light speed trying to get things done. And then that last pillar is so identifying shame, figuring out how you want to capitalize on the story that you've shared. How are you going to make it work for you? Whatever it is, that thing that was slowing you down, that thing that was you were hiding and felt like was sort of taking you down and made you feel unlovable or inadequate. What's going to be the opposite? And then this third thing of asking for help or support. And I think if you can do that, I mean, just today I asked my team member, I said, look, I need a couple hours. Can you please shift my meetings? And she did, and it was the best thing I could have ever asked for. A simple act like that, it's a three-hour shift. It's absolutely not going to change anything, because I'm not actually that important. (laughs) Anything that I do, while I think it's meaningful and I do my best to provide value, if it's shifted by three hours nobody is going down. And if you have a high stakes career and you say, yeah, exactly. You're just recording a podcast and coaching people. No one's dying on your watch. I'm a doctor or I have people blowing up my phone because I do whatever it is you do. My clients are all over me. I could never do that. It's like, I would, I would really challenge you to think about how important is it really? And obviously I'm not saying a doctor should walk out in the middle of a hip replacement surgery and say, you know what? I'm just not feeling it. I feel shameful that I'm in here because the weather's super nice. And so I'm just going to go outside. I'm going to let another doctor deal with this hip replacement. Not what I mean, right? I hope that's obvious. What I mean is strategically thinking about it. So if you have done 30, 50, 70 surgeries this month, maybe or if you do that regularly, but you're constantly feeling wiped out and like you don't have any time for anything else and you feel bad because you're not at home with your kids or your partner or you don't have fun anymore. Maybe you need to take Fridays off. 
maybe you do four surgeries a day and you work Saturdays instead of doing eight surgeries a day and working Monday to Friday. Maybe you take three days off at the end of the month every month and use your vacation that way or negotiate more vacation and then you work you know, 17 out of 20 days a month, whatever the case is. And we all do this. We all negotiate our way into figuring out what works for us. And so instead of shaming ourselves for being lazy or unproductive or, 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 or whatever the thing is, oh, I'm so unproductive because seven days of the month, I have a biological process that I have zero control over. It's like, I was born with this. I can't, well, you know, I wasn't born having a period, but I I was born a woman and this is what we do. So this shift in the perception and the honoring of some of these traditions that have been around within yogic philosophy and in India, it is fascinating. I will actually, I will link a video to this. This was fascinating. I've watched a lot of videos about this. Uh, but I'll, I'll find one that I think resonated most. There were many. I think it's really interesting the way that they traditionally handle menstruation. They say, okay, it's a beautiful opportunity for women to rest. You don't have to cook for yourself. You're, well, there it's often common for multi-generational households. So you'd have, you might be living with your parents or your grandparents. You might so kids, you know, you might have a couple generations in the house. How, and there's more community living type field. Again, dep- this totally depends on who it is. But that was the historic, that was a traditional way of doing things. That being said, how cool is it to maybe not have to cook and clean and take care of your kids or your dog or your job or manage the entire world How cool is that to not have to do that for three or four days a month to give yourself the space to reevaluate, to refocus? I'm not saying that means you have to sit there and watch Netflix, although if that's what you want to do, cool. You might get bored at some point and figure, hey, I actually want to look through the stuff that's been piling up on my desk or in my inbox. Again, clearing house is such a cool thing to do when you're not in the thick of your day-to-day activities. You'll hear about this in the podcast with Dan about working in the business versus on the business. So if you think about it with your work or your business as an entrepreneur, if you're thinking about in the business every day, day in, day out, talking to clients, answering to emails, you're on, you're there, you're online, people have access to you. It's a very different sort of work. If you can make it into an opportunity, a retreat, a means to map out next steps, future planning, do, do a strategic thinking paper, a lightweight one, whatever. How valuable is that? That's not time wasted. If this feels like it's been focused on just women, and to some degree it has, I would encourage you to think about this in the form of your own life. Whatever it is that you feel slows you down, makes you feel like you procrastinate, makes you feel like you're inadequate in whatever way if if it's feeling like you don't give enough to your family or your friends or your partner your studies or personal education whatever it feels that you're neglecting your music your car your craft 
maybe your car, if you're a car collector or car enthusiast. If you can work in cycles that fit you, and as a man, if you don't have a cycle, then you make your own system. Maybe you sprint for 40 days. Maybe your sprints are 50 days, 60 days, 90 days. Maybe you have a three-month sprint. Like, I mean, go for it. <laughs> I think the the best male leaders that I see work on this trifecta. They they take shame. They call it out for themselves. They find what they want instead. They So they craft their story. They figure out what they want. And then they get a lot of help. Any man that I've seen in a high power position that's crushing it as a CEO, CTO, head of engineering, head of whatever is getting help. They are not doing it alone. And if they say they are, don't don't follow them because and, and certainly actually take a look at what the reality is. Because people that are doing it alone and say they do it alone aside from the ego, they're probably spinning their wheels and they're not maybe they enjoy it maybe they're crushing it maybe they're grinding but it's finite you'll hear people in their early 20s right early 30s even a lot of men will at first want to validate themselves with their careers and so they say okay I have to again shame right because I'm unworthy if I don't make a lot of money and succeed in my realm and if I'm not a top 20 10 5 1 percent of this field then I'm not good enough. There's a lot of shame driving, <laughs> a lot of career progression and career motivation. But even if it's not that, even if you say, no, I'm not shameful, I just love what I do and I'm trying to crush it, you will exponentially increase what you're doing if you're able to reach out for help. And it might not be a full-fledged team of 10, 20, 30, 40 people, whatever, 100 people, 1,000-person company. But the moment you get help is the moment that you're actually able to sustain on the outside a consistent cadence. Just because I don't work for three days of the month, because I am restructuring, thinking, planning, revising, reviewing, doesn't mean that we don't have LinkedIn posts, we don't have people answering client care emails, somebody's not editing the book. I don't have my my e-commerce store up to sell merchandise. That's all live. That's all there. And thank God for technology because a lot of that automation can come from tech. Right? This podcast will be here forever even though after this I can go and take a nap. You can still listen to it. So thank God for technology. There are ways to get help that aren't even human-based. Doesn't mean you need to have an assistant or spend a lot of money. The thought is just you can find a way to shift shame in whatever feel you feel is stopping you and recalibrate that story into what it is you want and then get help to make it consistent, make it happen, take you out of this feeling that you have to do it all or else you suck or you're unworthy or you're unlovable. The moment I say unlovable, it's just like, oh, people are going to check out. They're going to think this is wishy-washy. I mean, if that's what you think, that's fine. I, I cannot, I can't speak to everyone all the time. And I certainly can't force you to, to see it. And I hope that if you're a man or someone that 
doesn't experience your period and you're listening, I hope that this has still been of value to you because the premise remains the same. It's anything where you feel shame. For me and my personal story, it's been menstruation because I felt so much pain. I pushed myself. I didn't honor it. I didn't listen to it. I didn't value it for what it is. If you can take what you feel is stopping you and look at the value that it's bringing you. If you think procrastination is stopping you, what is it bringing you? My period was stopping me. What is it giving me? My, my partner's holding me back. My lack of career educa- or education, my lack of career, my lack of this, my I don't know enough, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough experience. All of these things that we get into our heads that you don't have enough of, it's like, how does that put you ahead? I talked about in the last episode. If you don't have expertise in an area, that's great. You're, you're so curious and you have a beginner's mind and a beginner's mind is 10x more valuable sometimes than this expertise status where we allow our biases and our past experiences to cloud our vision of what's actually right in front of us so no matter what you're coming into a situation with you have a killer advantage because of your experience or lack thereof the time you have to spend on it or lack thereof. If you, if I had infinite amount of time to record this podcast, there would be a benefit to that and a drawback to that. If I only have 15 minutes to finish a task, obviously I can't do the same amount of work as if I had two hours. But then again, I'm going to find a way to finish that task in 15 minutes as efficiently as humanly possible. There is a benefit and a drawback. There is good and bad or light and dark benefit, drawback, to every single thing. And this is purely a question of acknowledgement of both sides and then choosing what we're going to do with it. Acknowledgement of both sides and then choosing what we're going to do with it. Period. Here are the drawbacks or here are the things that are, that are difficult. It's painful. I feel tired. I don't want to be around people. I feel very introspective and thoughtful about all the aspects of my life. I don't feel about I don't feel like getting on a stage and interacting with 100 people or chatting in a discussion or having to listen to anyone. Okay. Take that for what it is and run with it. So hopefully this discussion on multi-passionate approach how to identify your top 5 passions and then going for them shame, crafting your story, getting help in whatever format that looks like for you. I hope that all these threads were valuable. I certainly enjoyed chatting about them. And I will post all the resources below. If you found value in listening to this, I would love for you to support what I do with this podcast by buying me a cup of coffee. The link is also in the notes. It means the world to me because we're 40% of the way to our goal and it means that I'll be able to buy a professional mic for this, upgrade to the gold membership for coffee to bring you even better content, to record videos, have a members-only section, and bring you really cool updates on that platform too. So if this is valuable, and you can spare five bucks, 
I would appreciate your support. If not, totally cool. I hope you learned something. I hope you come back and listen to some more. I wish you an amazing rest of your day and hope that with one thing that sticks out in your mind, you make a change in the way that you're leading in your daily life. See you soon.